Well, Happy New Year, Crossview Church. I think there's no greater place for us to kick off the new year than to be in God's presence, worshiping Him. So thank you, worship team, for leading us and for this time. I remember a time when I was in my mid-20s and I had to make some decisions about career and schooling and different things. And I was just agonizing over the decisions because I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. I wanted to do what was right in the eyes of God. And so I was just begging him in prayer, God, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what I should do. Tell me. I wanted to email or write it in the sky or to do something that I know. Have you ever been there where you just really want to know? Because in your heart's right. You want to do the right thing, but you're not clear what that right thing is. And so I was in that place, and a friend of mine and I went off to a Christian camp, and we spent a weekend, and he was a worship leader, and so we prayed and worshiped, and uh, I thought, maybe in that moment, God will speak this to me, and it really didn't happen. And I remember we were talking, and I said, you know, I just really want to know his voice. I want to hear his voice. I want to hear his voice. I want to hear his voice. And my friend in that moment just looked at me, and he said, you know, it's a good thing to hear God's voice and to want that. But maybe instead of hearing God's voice, he just wants you to know his heart. Maybe he just wants you to know his heart. What an amazing thing that we could pursue in 2023 to know God's heart, to know his ways. In between Christmas and New Year's, our family was watching uh, the Chronicles of Narnia movie and I'm always struck in that movie by the interaction between Aslan the lion who depicts Jesus and Lucy, the young lady who is with him. There's no pretense. She's just enjoying Aslan. She's just enjoying his goodness. She's just savoring his tenderness. They're in a, almost a playful, fun, gracious, loving, kind, protective place. I think that reflects the heart of God. And this morning we have the privilege of seeing the heart of God, but we're not going to see it through the eyes of somebody who has it all together. We're not going to see the heart of God through the eyes of someone who uh, has it all figured out and laid out perfectly. In fact, this morning we get to see the heart of God through the eyes of someone who did something very sinful. We get to see the eyes, we get to see the heart of God through the eyes of somebody who did something that we would probably consider the worst of the worst sins, and that's David. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Psalm 32, where we're going to look at the heart of God. Uh, Psalm 32, if you have an electronic Bible, I'm going to be using the English Standard Version today. I just love this psalm in the English Standard Version. And we're going to see the heart of God through the eyes of David. David committed adultery, he committed murder. He committed a host of other sins. But then after committing those sins, he ran away from God. He ran away from God. He blew God off. And in this psalm, he tells us of his, his experience about that from beginning to end. Do you find yourself like me at times blowing God off? Do you find yourself like me at times not caring as much about my sin and the effects of it? Do you find yourself, like me at times, feeling very alone? Do you find yourself, like me at times, wanting more out of your relationship with God? If so, guess what? 
This psalm this morning is for us. This psalm is for us. And one of the first things we're going to see in this psalm is the heart of God. So I'm glad Kathy didn't read this for us. Thank you, Kathy. And now let's dive in and look at the first two verses here where it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I think it's great to see that the heart of God is to accept and receive sinners at their worst. This has been his heart throughout the ages, and he has never, ever changed, to accept and receive sinners at their worst. David committed grievous sins and ignored them and ignored God. And here I think he realizes how foolish running away from God after you commit such sins, it really is. He's realizing that why would I run from the God who receives me at my very worst, who gives me freedom, who gives me forgiveness? Why did I wait? Why did I run when God accepts us and forgives us? And when God accepts us and forgives us, it sets our hearts free in a way that nothing in this life can. Let's look at some key words in these beginning verses. First, transgression. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiveness. Transgression means crossing over the line, moving into rebellion. Blessed is the one whose rebellion is forgiven, sin. Blessed is one whose sin is covered. Sin means to miss the mark. God sets the mark. We miss the mark. Jesus hits the mark. We are in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel in a nutshell. God sets the mark. We miss the mark. Jesus hits the mark. We are in Jesus. It says here, when we miss the mark, are we cast out from God's sight? No, he covers us. It goes on and says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Iniquity means to be twisted in heart. It describes the inner life and intention of the one committing willful sin. To be twisted in heart. But God doesn't count that against you when you go to that place and whose spirit there is no deceit. There's no cover-up. There's no pretending it's not there. I think David found out what many of us found out, find out is covering up our sins and ignoring God when we are at our worst is turning our back on one of the greatest, greatest, greatest sources of life. Covering up our sins and ignoring our sins just doesn't work. It may work at first in the beginning, but eventually we are left broken. But look at what God does in that. Verse 1, when we confess our sin, he covers us. God covers our sin. In a way, it's saying that God's, when we sin, our sin is hidden in God's sight because he forgives Verse 2, he counts no iniquity. Counts is an accounting term. And what he's saying here is your twisted inner life is not your true record before God. 
Your twisted inner life is not your true record before God. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sin. And he went to the cross and he paid for the penalty of our sin by his blood. A few weeks back, I did a sermon on Philippians 3, and we talked about the three theological words every Christian must know, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is that one time you are declared righteous, freed from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is you move into that process where you become more and more holy. Glorification, when you die and when Christ returns, you'll get a glorified body free from the presence of sin forever. And I said, if you remember in sanctification, it's a process of where we become more and more like Jesus. And if you remember, I had that board and I kind of said, it's not this one line that just goes straight and we become better and better each day, but it's this totally messed up line that eventually trends forward, but there's tops where we're feeling like, wow, I got this Christian life. And then there's bottoms where we think, how could I even step foot into a church? And the Apostle Paul felt those extremes as well. In those places of process, especially in the low points, do you know that God loves you just as much down there as he does when you're up there? That wherever you are in the process of sanctification, it doesn't affect or change his love for you. And this psalm reflects that. My wife and I were talking yesterday, and she learned this thing that I thought was so good that when you're in the lowest ebb of that sanctification, when you're in the bottom part where you feel broken, you feel sinful, you do things you're ashamed of and you don't know why you did it, I think it's part of the heart of God if you just take your hand and put it on your chest. Take your hand right now and put it on your chest. Be kind to yourself because God loves you. Be kind to yourself because God loves you. That's the heart of God. In the lowest of our lows. Some of you have been parents of kids who've gone through orchestra in middle school and elementary school and you've weathered an orchestra concert at an elementary school or middle school. And you know when you go there, it's, you're not there for the highest quality of music, right? In fact, it can get kind of hilarious at times. But what I love to watch in those settings is you have parents there who have tears coming down their face because little Johnny's up on stage for the first time and it really doesn't matter what's coming out of little Johnny's horn because he's just up on stage and it's just this wonderful thing. And that parent is grabbing that other parent and say, the one third from the left, that's my son. Well, mine's here and they're just beside themselves and in just excitement and joy of what's happening. And then there's this conductor who's there, and he just, oh, they never get it right. And if you're a musical conductor in middle school, that's not you, it's another conductor, I'm sorry. But this one conductor's there and just can't get it right. I think when we walk out the Christian life, we put God in that conductor place, judging and looking at all the things we do wrong. What if God is that parent? What if God's in this chair looking at us and he just so loves us? So gets how hard it is sometimes to walk with him. So gets how hard it is sometimes to not sin. So he gets how hard it is when life kicks us in the gut and it's so hard to get up and say, Lord, I want to follow you, but we try anyway. And his heart's just moved. 
like that parent in an orchestra. That's the heart of God we see in this psalm. It's crazy, but sometimes we resist that heart. And I think we resist the heart because we think God is the conductor and we forget that God is that parent in the row. But we resist this amazing, gracious, merciful heart of God. And David talks about that in verses 3 and 4, where he talks about what his resistance was like. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God's hand was heavy upon David because God was pursuing David with what I call a severe mercy. He was pursuing David with a severe mercy. For over a year, David resisted the hand of God in his life. After he committed these sins over a year, he never turned back to God in the midst of his brokenness. He probably felt unworthy. He probably felt like, I just can't see it. He probably was just stubborn and said, I'm not going to do this. Charles Spurgeon says, God does not permit his children to sin successfully. And we see that here, that God is pursuing David. And even in the pursuit, God allows pain to come into David's life. God in his love disciplined David for over a year. When we blow off sin, God's loving father hand of discipline is on our lives so that we turn to him. It's a severe mercy. The Lord disciplined David for almost a whole year. God allowed David to be miserable until he stopped lying and ignoring and in arrogantly blowing off God until he humbly confessed his sins. You see, discipline is not a harsh judge punishing. Discipline is a loving father dealing with disobedient children in a way that brings them back to him to bring them back to a place of surrender. When a child does something that is going to hurt themselves, to stop and correct them, isn't that what a loving parent would do? Isn't that what a parent would do that cares about that child more than anything? God's discipline is proof that he loves us and that he considers us his precious children. Look what happened when David resisted. He said he became a physical wreck. David, when he wrote that at that time when that was happening, was probably around 50 years old when he disobeyed God, but he felt much older than that. We don't know exactly what happened to David physically, but he says he felt awful. And later he would say it was worth the pain because it brought me back to my God. It brought me back to that place where I started to understand his heart. This year, I'll celebrate 25 years in the ministry as a pastor. And in 25 years, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people run from God. And when they run from God, and then they come back, and they say, why did I ever run from God? And I think the reason we run is we forget who he is. We forget his heart. We forget how amazing, how loving, how gracious, how merciful. And when people say, I don't know how people go through this life without God, the way they go through this life without God is they don't know him. 
They don't know what he's like. That's why God put us in this world to tell people what he's like, what, who he is, what he's done, to show them his heart. When David was, a made, when David was made aware of his resisting, he did something. Because his stubborn heart couldn't withstand the severe mercy of God. His stubborn heart was conquered by the love of God, and he did something. He turned towards God's heart. Look at verses 5 to 7. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at, the, at a time when you may be found in this time. Surely in the rush of the great waters, they shall not reach him. David says this, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. When David sinned and blew off God, God sent a friend to David named Nathan. And Nathan lovingly, tactfully confronted David. He confronted him about his sins and how he is relating to God. And we see David's heart turning to God and God's answer. David said in 2 Samuel 12, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, this is God's heart, the Lord also has put away your sin. Be kind to yourself, Christian, for God has put away your sin. As one commentator said, the king did not have to do penance. The king did not have to be put on probation. All he had to do is sincerely confess his sins to the Lord, and the Lord forgave him. The burden of transgression was lifted. The debt was canceled. The twisted inner life was not held against him. It was made straight by God's merciful kindness and goodness. God did not put David's sin on a permanent record. Instead, he placed the condemning mark on his son Jesus, and he places on us who are walking in him, who confess our sins to him, who turn our lives to him, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Notice at this point in the story of Psalm, there's no more excuses from David. He's not hiding anymore. He's not to being defensive. He's not making things up. He's admitting that he sinned and he was guilty before God. Conviction and feelings of guilt are to the soul what pain is to the body. Conviction and feelings of guilt are to the soul what pain is to the body. They tell us something's wrong and we need to care for our souls when we feel those things. And the way we care for our souls is we run to God we run to our maker, to our father. Sometimes we can turn so far from God that it's hard to feel guilt or conviction of sin anymore. We never want to stay in that place. We never want to remain in that place. And when we stay in that place, we need to run. When we sense we're going to that place, we need to go back and say, God, would you grab a hold of my heart that I may sense your convicting hand once again? Will you forgive me for these things? I want to walk with you. 
I don't want to experience soul damage to the point I can't respond to the conviction of your hand. When you know of sin in your heart, quickly run to God. Don't wait. Run quickly toward God. He will never turn his back on you. And you might be here this morning saying, that's exactly where I am. I've sinned to the point where I don't even know I sin anymore. Run to God this morning. Start 2023 by putting your heart under the loving, gracious hand of Almighty God and ask him to soften it. Ask him to renew it. Ask him to bring you back to him again. There's a beautiful thing in verse 7 that stands out. It says, you are a hiding place for me. When I read that, I realized what an amazing thing that is, that God's forgiveness is not a negative thing, but it's a doorway to life. It's a doorway to renewal. It's amazing to think that David was hiding, and then David exchanged his hiding of sins for a hiding place in God. Now he's in this hiding place. God removed his sins, and then he puts a wall around David, a wall of his loving presence. When we run to so many things in this world that don't satisfy, they can never fulfill us the way that God can. Because even when we blow it and we run to God and we ask for forgiveness, he cleanses us, and then he hides us in his love if we accept his invitation. He hides us in his goodness that we sang about. He hides us in his faithfulness that we sang about. He hides us in his love that we sang about if we accept his invitation. Nothing will satisfy in this earth like that. Nothing will complete us like that. And God does that. And he offers it to this guy who is at the worst of his worst. That's the heart of God. This doesn't mean that David had no consequences for his sin. Dealing with the consequences is another reason why we don't want to live sinful lives. David's consequences were many. He had a son who died. He had another son who raped his half-sister and then a brother killed him. He had two sons that tried to kill him, David, and take his throne. His life was not easy because of the consequences of his sin. But even in the consequences, God never withheld his heart from David. Even in living through the consequences, God hid David in that tender grace. God hid David in that unfailing love. He found a hiding place as he walked out the consequences of his sin. And David cultivated that reality. David reawakened his soul to God by coming in the midst of people who are worshiping God together. In verse 7, it says, You surround me with shouts of deliverance. It's one of the benefits that we experience when we come here to Crossview Church weekly and we sing worship to God. We're worshiping God, we're coming to his presence, but we're also surrounded by others who have been delivered, who have been forgiven, who have been set free. And we rejoice in the singing together of the goodness of God and how wonderful he is. Why would we want to miss that? 
It's a taste of heaven. It's a taste of the new heaven and new earth coming. And believe me, I know this is all imperfect. But it's a small expression of the perfect that's coming. Where we will be in that place where we'll be with God face to face and there'll be no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, no more evil. And when we gather weekly and we sing the songs of deliverance together, it infuses God's love and power and heart in our souls. Even in the consequences of our sin. This memoir ends with David giving a very, showing us a very special promise about living in tune with God's heart. Look at the rest of this Psalm 8 through 11. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll say, so God, we, we, we fail him in our sin, and then he forgives us, and then he says, you won't have to live this life alone aimlessly. I will guide you. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Oh God, keep your eye upon us. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Don't resist the guidance of God. Don't resist that hiding place, but lean into it. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of you upright in heart. What special promises David gives us in these things. He promises that God will guide us in this life as we tune our hearts to him. He's describing this thing called discernment. And many think that discernment is a way that we make good decisions, that we discern what God is saying, and, and that's a part of it. But there's a greater thing to discernment. Discernment, according to an author named Steve Machia, is practicing a preference for God. Living a life that practices a preference for God. Discernment is living a life that practices a preference for God. Discernment is not just about decision-making. Decision-making is a one-time choice that comes, you make decision, it moves on. But discernment is a habit. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life that practices the preference of God. God, what is your preference in what's happening in front of me right now? I want to tune my heart to what the preferences of God is, and so I want to walk in tune with the preferences of God. That's the life that he's, David is saying comes to us when we go before God. He gives us this ability to tune into our heart by his spirit and say, God, what, are you, what is your preference here? This is how I want to live. I want to live a life that practices the preference for God, not a stubborn life like the horse and the mule that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be self-reliant. Is there a greater picture than somebody self-reliant and self-dependent than a horse or a mule that needs to be yanked with a bridle? God's saying, I have a gift for you. You don't have to live like that. You can live in freedom tuning your heart to me, and I will guide you. And I will show you what I prefer in life. Now notice it says practicing a preference for God. You're not going to get it right every time. 
It's a practice that we develop as his children over time to the place that in that sanctification, remember, we're in process, we're in progressing, we're getting more and more close to perfection. This picture is a heart that trusts the Lord. This is a heart that's surrounded by the steadfast love of God. When the Bible talks about a steadfast love or an unfailing love, it's talking about this Hebrew word hesed that's just such a beautiful thing. It's this covenant loyalty that God has for his people. A covenant loyalty is, excuse my crudeness here, it's a promise on steroids. It's something that God has linked and says, I am going to covenant to you. I'm going to covenant my love to you, and I will not renege it even when you're at the lowest point of your sanctification. You will still have my covenant love. And you can trust in that. Those who live this life of practicing a preference for God, even when they blow it, the steadfast love of God surrounds them. It surrounds the one who imperfectly but consistently considers God in his ways. A life who lives for God. A discerning life is a life that pauses and notices God in what we do. A discerning life is a life that pauses and interviews God. God, what are you doing here? What do you want me to do here? A discerning life is a life that pauses and listens Isn't it amazing that in this psalm we see this three-way connection? We see God's heart, then we see a human heart cleansed from sin because they blew it, and then we say God saying, I'm going to promise to guide you in all of life if you keep your heart towards me. It's amazing, the connection here. This reveals who God is. When I was with my friend and I wanted to hear God's voice and I was saying, just tell me, God was after something greater. He said, I want you to know my heart so you can walk in the ways of my heart. And look at the benefit that we get when we do that in verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you who, upright, who are upright in heart. You know, in the Bible, when you read something that says upright in heart or blameless in heart, many times we look at that and say, that's not me because I still sin. I'm not blameless. I have lots of blame. I'm not upright all the time. When the Bible talks about blameless or upright in heart, it's not talking about all your actions. It's talking about a heart committed to walk out God's ways, even imperfectly. So you can take that on as a title. If your heart is to practice the preference of God, even if it's imperfect, God's covenant love is there for you. So that is David. What about us? You know, they teach preachers, when you're putting together a sermon, you should think of three things. What do you want the people to feel? What do you want the people to know? And what do you want the people to do? And they say a good sermon hits all those three, that you take people through something you want them to feel, you take them through something you want them to know, and you take them through something you want to do. Well, I'm going to give you the peek behind the curtain this morning. What do I want us to do when we sin to be quick to run to God? When we sin to be quick to run to this one whose heart's amazing, who longs to be with us? What do I want us to feel? 
the amazing goodness of God, how good he is. You know, the Sunday before Christmas when Trevor was preaching on the love of God, he said, think about that time, the first time someone came to you and said, I love you, how that felt. And then he said, God does that to us. That's what we should feel, this amazing goodness of God. What do I want us to think? I want you to think about what 2023 would be like if we tune our hearts to God and we practice a preference for him. I conclude with that invitation. As you think about 2023, what are you noticing about God in your life? Where do you see him? What is he doing? What is he pointing his finger on in your heart and say, I want us to talk about this in 2023. I want us to do something with this in 2023. In the loving, gentle hand that God does. Maybe for you it's that severe mercy, that discipline where God says, I want to pull this thing that you've been struggling with. I want to deal with this in 2023. Maybe it's a lie that you're believing about yourself. And God's saying, you know what? It's time for you to forget that lie. It's not true. I want to infuse your heart with the truth. I don't know what God has for you, but the beautiful thing is when we live a life of discernment before God, where we're practicing his preference, the Holy Spirit does his work inside of our life. In 2023, imagine for a moment how different your life will be if at the end of a long day you were able to point to at least a handful of ways you clearly noticed God in your life. What if each day you sit at the end of your bed before you put your head on the pillow and you'd notice, God, where were you in my life today? Ah, you were there, you were there, you were there. And we just have a heart that starts to notice what God's doing. I invite you to that kind of life in 2023. Let's pray.